Sissy, I have a question for you. Queso or guac? Well, I'm used to us asking that question, but not answering it. But I think I would choose queso. How would you feel about queso being central to your dinner tonight? Oh, I love that plan. Thanks to one of our sponsors, that can be your reality. Factor is helping me make red pepper queso chicken tonight. That sounds amazing. I love Factor. I just made a green chili pork and pico de gallo bowl. Did it bowl you over? (laughs) It did. (laughs) With Factor, you'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Snacks, smoothies, and more. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Sign up and save. We have done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. Flexible for your schedule? Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Head to factormeals.com slash rbg50 and use code rbg50 to get 50% off. That's code rbg50 at factormeals.com slash rbg50 to get 50% off. Hey friends, welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. And I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you joined us for this conversation. Let's dive in. Douglas McKelvey grew up in East Texas and moved to Nashville in 1991 to participate in the early work of Charlie Peacock's Art House Foundation, an organization dedicated to a shared exploration of faith and the arts. In the decades since, he has worked as an author, song lyricist, scriptwriter, and video director. He has penned more than 350 lyrics recorded by a variety of artists, including Switchfoot, Kenny Rogers, Sanctus Real, and Jason Gray. He and his wife have three grown daughters and two sons-in-law. Douglas has served for the last four years as the sexton of St. John's Anglican Church in Franklin, Tennessee, and is the author of Every Moment Holy. We can't wait for you to join in on this conversation. We are so excited about this conversation. We are such fans of your work and have been, as long as these have been coming out, the Every Moment Holy, what do you call them, additions? Uh, Volumes. Volumes. Yes, they're just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And Thank so you. excited about this conversation. Yes, we so are. we'd love to start with just will you tell us a little bit about you, about your family, and how you found your way to the work you're doing? Sure. It was a very meandering path. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved to Nashville as a uh, 20 something in 1991 
um, at the invitation of Charlie Peacock and his mm-hmm. wife Andy. Um, for we love them. Those we love who those might folks. not know, yeah, you guys, I would think would would be very familiar. And we all with came them, within but... the same two years to Nashville. Okay. Isn't okay. that funny? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But they were starting the Art House Foundation, yes. a nonprofit organization that kind of existed in that space of the intersection of faith and the arts and um, kind of the shared exploration of that. And so that was a wonderful place for me to land mm-hmm. um, as I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. And uh, by virtue of of being there and the the volunteer work I was doing, helping with getting that nonprofit started, um, opportunities opened in the songwriting world for me, um, initially through Charlie, but, but that pretty quickly expanded. And so for a dozen years or so, being a lyricist um, and writing lots of songs was my primary vocational focus. Um, my wife moved to Nashville a few months after I did, and we got married she moved. She she wouldn't move to Nashville for a boyfriend, but if <laughs> if we were getting married, she would move there. So, um, and so then over the during those years that I was working as a songwriter, uh, we had three daughters. Mm. The music industry changed radically. Yes. Um, MP3 technology meant that suddenly people weren't buying music anymore. They were just you know, downloading it off of, off of sketchy servers and so forth. So, <laughs> um, so within a couple of years, my royalty income was 25% of what it had been. And I wow. realized this just isn't going to work Yes, long term. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I started looking at what other sorts of writing I could do. I had published a couple books along the way, a couple children's books, a novella called The Angel New Pop and the Dog that was republished by Rabbit Room a few years ago. Yeah. So it's it's nice that that's back in print. Um, and some picture books. But I, I started going down the path of, of screenwriting, went to L.A., took some some classes for screenwriting and, wow, and started dabbling in meandering. that. And, <laughs> so yeah. Cool. So, um, but eventually I reached a point where, you know, my kids were young adult phase, um, you know, in college or just out of college. And I was approaching 50 years old and had two daughters that were, getting married that summer, two that were still in college, wow. um, you know, a lot of lot of financial pressure. And I was just at a place where it seemed like every path I had gone down vocationally, everything I had tried had, you know, had done okay for a while and seemed promising, but then had just, you know, I was just in a place where I was just scrambling to pay the bills. I was driving for Uber and Lyft, you know, ferrying inebriated folks around Nashville <laughs> till three in the morning. Um, I was the sexton for my church, which uh, it's kind of funny because a lot of people have thought that means that I was a pastor. Mm. Um, it basically means I was the janitor. <laughs> you know, I was doing the setup and tear down every week um, just to just to pay the electric bill, you know. 
Um, and so it, it was a, that was a, a tough season for me to be approaching 50 and feeling like nothing has worked out. What's, what's going on? You know, a lot of questions of what's, what's your plan, God? What, yes. <laughs> what's going on with all of this? Um, and a lot of soul searching too, a lot of, a lot of fear of failure, you know, a sense that I've, I've just kind of not, maybe not been a good steward of, of whatever talents I've been given. And um, so it was during that, it was out of that time that the first volume of Every Moment Holy was birthed. And you can see in a number of the prayers in the book, um, those wrestlings that were going on for me during that season during that year that it took to to write every moment holy the first one second one took two years but mm -hmm. um and i was i was wrestling with those questions of what um what does it look like if what if what if this is the rest of my life um that i'm just going to be scrambling to pay the bills are God's promises any less true mm. because of that? Is the hope of the resurrection any less real because of that? Am I willing to steward well whatever gifts I've been given and what I believe my calling is, even if there is in my lifetime no payoff for that, that I can see, am I still willing to invest the time in trying to create things that will serve the body of Christ and the culture at large, regardless of the immediate outcomes? And I had to come to that surrender point of, of saying, yeah, I don't want to reach the end of my life and realize that I've just buried my talents because I didn't like the, you know, the outcomes I was seeing, yes. that they weren't up to my expectations. Mm -hmm. And so my focus because of that really changed from having been someone who for so long was desperately chasing whatever I thought might be the most commercial idea mm -hmm. as a songwriter or you know, book projects that I would pitch or whatever it might be to someone who was saying, okay, well, none of that really worked anyway. So there's actually some freedom in this. Mm. What can I do that would serve the community around me? What can I do that would actually meet a need in a community that I'm a part of? Whether that's for, you know, a half dozen people or a few hundred people, or a few thousand people, what what can I contribute? What can I offer? And it was out of that that the first Every Moment Holy Project came, because initially I just wrote a prayer for myself that I needed, because I was working on a novel and wasn't wasn't making a lot of headway for a few weeks, and at a certain point just realized... I could really use a prayer 
that would focus me first thing when I sit down in the morning to write, that would recalibrate my thoughts, my heart in relation to God, in relation to the work that's before me to do, and in relation to the people that I'm hoping to serve by what I might create. And so I had written that prayer for myself, but shared it uh, with Andrew Peterson. And he said, I love this, but I wish I had a prayer for, and he, he named like three things that are part of his part of his life and interests. And it was at that point immediately that I realized, oh yeah, this isn't just like a novelty thing for me, a, a, you know, a prayer for fiction writers. Um, there's something in this model that could really serve the body of Christ. So within half hour or an hour, I had created the pitch for the wow. book. Um, and People, usually that takes a good nine months. <laughs> oh, it was us. just, I mean, that's the, amazing. I, w- I would say within 30 seconds of getting Andrew's response, the entire vision for what this book could be was right there. And then wow. I was just trying to type fast enough to get it all down before wow, it evaporated. And uh, even including what the artwork Really? might look like in it. Um, and and I don't think there was anything significant that changed from that initial outpouring of, you know, capturing the vision for what this could be to what the, the finished reality of, of volume one was. It's extraordinary. So, and it now is. in terms of my family, my, my daughters are all um, in their mid to later 20s now. Um, and I have... Uh, two grandkids and another on the wow. way. So yeah, new, new stage of life. That's so fun. Yeah. So there will be a every moment holy grandchildren. There could be volume at some <laughs> point. Well, I mean, really, I I don't think either one of us can say enough about how much we have loved these books. Yes, I mm-hmm. mean they're just beautiful. I think the first year I discovered them, I gave twenty to people for Christmas. Wow. I mean, just. Such, I feel like Melissa even gave them to us as a staff. I mean, we just, they're just beautiful, y'all. Yes. If you don't have a copy of these books, go you and order it. them right now. Yes. yes, you need them. And there's so many rich, thoughtful, and everyday moments. You know, I mean, it feels like the bigger moments and the smaller moments mm. that give us time to stop and reflect. And Yeah, the idea was to have a balance between prayers for those very everyday sort of moments yes. for the changing of diapers, mm. uh, cooking a meal, home repairs, um, but then also things like for going on holiday or arriving at the ocean or for stargazing or camping. Um, and then also for things like, you know, for for walking through a season of doubt mm. um, or um, experiencing some sort of grief. Mm. So, yeah, or celebrating a birthday, you know, there's there's a, a, a wide variety yes. amongst the books, yeah. And so each volume has its own kind of separate identity. Yes. And so the first, will you explain each of the sure. three? Yeah, the first one is this broad cross-section yes. of big moments and little moments in life. Volume two is focused the subtitle of volume two is Death, Grief, and Hope. Mm. So it's divided more or less in half. 
the first half of the book being prayers for someone who is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, mm-hmm. who, you know, has has been given the news that they have six to eight months to live. Yeah. And as a follower of Jesus is seeking to walk that journey, you know, to follow to follow their Lord through that difficult season and 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 place. And then the second half of the book is for those who are grieving, for those who have have lost someone that they love. And that one, there are are general prayers. There are also very specific prayers for Mm -hmm. certain types of things like the loss of a child. Um, There are also prayers for caregivers um, included in in Volume 2. And Volume 2 was not a book that I set out to write. I just knew when Volume 1 went to the printer that the gaping hole in it was that I hadn't written a prayer for someone who was in that immediate experience of that first wave of grief of of just having lost someone. And I had hoped to write a liturgy for the morning of a funeral Mm. for Volume 1, but... I had a, a list of probably a couple hundred potential topics for that. Wow. And as we got into the last couple months, you know, there just wasn't bandwidth um, either time-wise or I think emotionally for me at that mm-hmm. point because I was pretty spent to take on a topic that weighty. Mm-hmm. So I knew at some point that I needed to write that one. Um, and I thought, well, we can just add it to a subsequent printing of volume one um, or just put it on the website, the everymomentholy.com website as a free PDF download. So at least it will be there for people to use. At that point, we didn't know that there would be a second volume or a third volume. But a year after volume one was published, it took me a year to to be in a place where I felt like I could take on, you know, trying to write that that prayer. But a few days into working on that one, I realized it was too long. Mm. So I started looking for places in that, it was probably 10 pages at the time. And so I started looking for places that I could cut or where I was repeating myself because in the process of writing the prayers, I would find I would frequently do that sort of thing. I couldn't find anything to cut. So then I thought, well, this is probably more than one prayer then. So it seemed like there were maybe five different themes that were important that I was hitting on. So I split it into five prayers continued working on those and they kept branching out and and splitting so it just was a project that grew from the inside and at a certain point i realized i think this is probably a book wow and as i, I mentioned a, a a few minutes ago it it took 2 years um and was a process that ended up involving a lot of community mm input because there were prayers that 
that had to do with articulating what might be on the heart of a person who's had a particular kind of grievous loss Mm. that I hadn't personally experienced. So in order to write prayers that would serve people in those kind of very difficult and heart-rending situations, I knew that I couldn't do that without having people who were walking through those specific situations or had in the past walking alongside me as I wrote these prayers and giving me feedback on each draft. And that that was such an integral part of the process of writing volume two were the voices of community, of the community of the grieving. Mm. Um, and I was able through the process, I think, to learn a little more of what it means to mourn with those who mourn um, and to, you know, because they were opening these real-time windows into their own grief um, and giving me honest feedback saying, hey, this part of the this prayer is working. It's articulating what's what's on my heart. Um, here are some things that that I'm experiencing that I think should be in the prayer that you're completely missing. And here's a paragraph over here that I don't think is landing the way you think. I think this could actually be hurtful to people. Mm. And so to have that kind of honest feedback that, you know, as I as I edited and rewrote the the different iterations of these prayers, that these people were were guiding me through their own experience walking through these particular kinds of of loss and grief because they recognized that by doing so, they could serve people who would have to walk that same path Mm. after them. And so until they would sign off on a prayer and say, okay, now the whole thing is working and is articulating my own experience in this, I it wouldn't go into the finished pile, mm. you know, ready to go to the printer. So that was volume two. Then with volume three, it, like volume one, is a broad cross-section mm. of topics, um, some big life moments, others little daily ones. But I invited dozens of other writers to participate so it was a very different process, and and I have to say that after the COVID years, mm. um, in which for me I became even more of an introvert than I had been before, mm-hmm. it was it was such a good and healthy process for me to be having multiple meetings a week with with different writers, some in person, but a lot of them via Zoom. But just to be having these deep conversations and interacting with people and and shaping these prayers on on so many topics and wow. and to have not just my voice in volume three, but to have all these different voices represented um, is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. It it feels like it's a celebration in a way. Right. It's it's so much a community effort. Um, you know, it's a little microcosm of of the body of Christ working together to serve 
the body of Christ mm. and the culture. So, And it's called The Work of the People. That's the subtitle of yes. Every Moment Holy, Volume 3, The Work of the People. And Ned Bustard has done the illustrations, the artwork for Volume 1 and 2, these beautiful line-of-cut block prints that are visual prayers or visual sermons in themselves. Um, in fact, he was he was speaking at a conference a few months ago, and he was talking about volume two, the Death, Grief, and Hope volume, and, and some of the his approach to creating art for that. And during the Q&A afterwards, there was a woman who raised her hand and said, I have not been in a, an emotional space where I could even read or pray any of the written prayers in volume two yet. I've just been praying through the artwork. Mm. Wow. <laughs> oh, beautiful. beautiful. So, yeah, so what Ned has done is just a, it, it goes beyond illustrating mm the prayers, um, but he is he is doing something that stands on its own and mm. is this tremendous complement mm. to the written prayers. And for volume three, he became an art director. I mean, he did contribute a number of, of his own pieces to it, but he invited six other artists to contribute as well. So, so both in the the prayers and the the artwork volume three is just this this massive mm. community effort and it ended up being substantially longer than than volume two or volume one so. i love the blue yes i think it's pretty and who are some of the can you just throw out a few of the folks that you invited to sure it's probably hard to pick a few yeah, yeah. um malcolm geit yes um lucy shaw yes such big fans of her work. Ellie Holcomb. We love Ellie. We love uh, Ellie. Jess Ray. She's mm. incredible. Um, who else? So many. That's, that's so enough many already. People, but Everybody, you need to get a copy is. of this. Volume 3, The Work of the People, Every Moment Holy. Yeah. Sissy, in spite of the amount of queso I consume, I really am a health-conscious person. <laughs> I always want to give the best advice for people when it comes to their health. When it comes to nausea, I finally have a product I can recommend, Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one anti-nausea wristband that quickly relieves and effectively prevents nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. We love going to the lake house on the weekends, and there are some windy roads en route that could easily trigger some motion sickness. I am so thankful for Relief Band. Haven't we all been car sick on windy roads? And don't we all wish we'd had Relief Band? Do you remember when I used it on the Alaskan cruise? Yes, and our staff is going to Dollywood in the spring, and I'm not boarding a roller coaster without it. You and me both. <laughs> Relief Band is natural, fast-acting, and will last as long as you need it. It's 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and has zero side effects. It's the end of the year, and you can also use your HSA and FSA dollars to get a Relief Band. 
So if you have funds left in those accounts, don't let them go to waste. Put that money to good use and get the wearable nausea solution that works. Right now, Relief Band is running their 12 days of relief sale. So head over to reliefband.com for new discounts every day through December 12th. That's R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com for new discounts every day through December 12th. David, I know what I'm putting in stockings this year. David, I am shocked you don't have a coffee mug in your hand. You always do this time of day. I do, but I don't need it because I have been sleeping so well on my Cozy Earth sheets. Me too. I love those sheets. Who knew that going to bed every night would be such a celebration? (laughs) At our age, I might have predicted that. That is true, but Cozy Earth makes it extra special. Make every night a five-star experience with Cozy Earth's responsibly sourced, temperature-regulating bedding. Temperature-regulating. Speaking of our age, is that helping you with your hot flashes? Well, I didn't know you were going to say that on an ad, but yes, you know it is, David. (laughs) We're just letting all the age stuff spill out right here. (laughs) And it's just one more reason to love Cozy Earth. Is it any surprise that Cozy Earth's bamboo sheet set was named one of Oprah's favorite things in 2018? I get it, Oprah. I am with you. Sleep with confidence thanks to Cozy Earth's generous warranty, luxury bedding essentials that provide peace of mind and endless comfort. Why settle for less? Discover Cozy Earth's exquisite bedding for your best night's rest. David, Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for our listeners today. Visit CozyEarth.com and get up to 35% site-wide when you use the code word RAISING. I'm logging in right now. That's CozyEarth.com for 35% off site-wide when you use the code RAISING. Our work is in the parenting space, and Mm. we would love to ask you just, what do you believe is the importance of liturgy for families? So we might have to define the term liturgy a little bit to to give a good answer to that. Because I think for many of us, when we hear the word liturgy, we think of high church. um, But the word liturgy, I mean, it has more than one meaning. One of the meanings is just the order and content of a, of a worship service, mm-hmm. right? So, so it would be true to say that every church has a liturgy, whether they're one that we would consider a high church or not. But there's also this sense in which the word liturgy communicates the idea of the rhythms of our life, of the things that we repeatedly go to or engage in that have a shaping power that can that can conform us more and more over time to the image of Christ or can be a means of grace that that the Spirit of God uses for that. Or there can be these destructive liturgies, right, that that move our hearts toward, consumerism or, you know, any of the other isms that that we can gravitate toward. And so, 
from from the beginning of the Every Moment Holy Project, our hope was that whether it's an individual, a, a married couple, a family, um, a small group at a church, or you know, a, a nonprofit organization gathering, whatever kind of grouping of people it might be, that there would be some of the prayers in the book that they would be able to identify as ones that would that they could integrate very naturally into the existing rhythms of their life. Mm-hmm. Because one of the one of the things that these kind of prayers can do is in a given moment, as you're about to engage in a particular activity, whether it's feasting with friends or you know, repairing the water heater on your house or whatever it might be, that it gives you this this moment. It creates a space to pause and recalibrate the attitude of your heart and your your thoughts and to um to contextualize this moment this activity within the movement of the story that God is telling across history mm. that that as followers of Jesus we believe that history is going somewhere, that it's headed toward the new creation, to the redemption of all things, to the, to the end of the curse, to eternal life, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So how does this moment, how does this moment where I have to change the fifth diaper of the day fit? Where does it land on that timeline? Um, and so these prayers are offered in the hopes that they can help people to to reorient their heart and mind in that moment to that truer story mm. that that God is telling that that this is not just drudgery that I have to do right but it it takes its place in this timeline that it that this service that I offer is part of the advancing of the kingdom of God mm-hmm. in this world and that I can yield my heart to the work of God's spirit who I believe is always here wanting to work in me and around me and through me for the advancing of the kingdom of God and and to conform me more to the image of Christ as I yield my heart to that process moment by moment. Mm -hmm. Brother Lawrence, Mm -hmm. hundreds of years ago, wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God, which I've never read it. Really? Okay. But I love the title and I love the concept. Mm -hmm. And it can sound a little confusing to say practicing the presence of God, but what he means by that is practicing our ongoing awareness of the reality that God is present, right? Because God is always present. So that's very much at the heart of of what we've hoped every moment holy might offer Mm -hmm. to believers is 
the cultivation of that kind of mindset mm-hmm. of becoming more aware of how God is present and active in every moment and and how each moment is a part of the eternal unfolding story of, of God's redemption and of his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We may be thinking the same thing. We talk so much just because we're seeing so much anxiety these days and about how anxiety resides in the past and the future and not in the present. And anything, you know, obviously so much of mindfulness is anchoring ourselves to the present. And and we talk so much with parents about truth and the importance of of anchoring ourselves to truth in those moments where we feel anxious, which just makes me feel like these books could be such a profoundly not just useful, but transformational tool to, for any of us who are anxious, which, hello, all of us anymore, but could anchor us to God's presence in the moment that could really dispel a lot of the anxiety that feels like it's Mm -hmm. pushing in from all sides. So if you're anxious, this can be a great... Well, that makes me think of of something I heard... um, Many years ago, my wife and I had taken our daughters to hear a paleontologist speak, who was also a, uh, he was a, a believer. And there was one thing he said that I wrote it down and it, it just stuck with me because it's, it's profoundly true. And he said, as followers of Jesus, we are not products of our past. Mm. We are products of our future. Wow. And I think that speaks so much to an anxious world. Yes. That's a right? That, that the, we know where this is heading, mm. right? We know, it's, we know it's heading to something glorious. And to the degree that we can reorient ourselves to that story, to that future, that that's where we find our identity. That's where we find our peace and our rest in the midst of the the turbulence and the and the buffeting that we experience yes. in this life. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Well, as far as if we were to shift a little, knowing this is a parenting podcast, but I hope anyone would listen based on what you've said so far. So. We talk a lot about the ages and stages with kids. Mm. So if you were to think about your girls, do you have a big picture age slash stage of life that you particularly enjoyed in one that might have been a little bit more challenging? Well, a lot of this probably has to do with with my personality and, you know, just, just, my strengths and weaknesses and um, how awkwardly <laughs> I've tended to relate mm-hmm. in, in social situations. And um, for me, I think the sort of the, the golden stage was um, when, my, when my daughters were really little you know when they're when they're that age where they're acquiring language mm-hmm. and um, and it's just so such a joy um, to see their personalities emerging and and it's so 
easy. It was that stage was so easy for me as a parent. Um, there's there's nothing there's nothing that's challenging the bond that you have with your child, right? They're not their life is not yet going other directions and centered in other places and relationships. But as the parents, um, you know, you are the primary relationships and with their siblings, but, but within the family there. So it's almost this, this season that is Edenic, you know, it's, it's kind of like in the, in the history of your family, those are sort of the the you're still in the garden yes. <laughs> years and mm-hmm. and I just loved loved those stages while they were happening. Um, <laughs> That's a great word. Then you get tossed out of the garden <laughs> yeah. once yeah. adolescence gets close. Well, and I think I think adolescence was very challenging for me, and partially, um, you know, I. I I didn't recognize this till later in life, but I'm not good at reading social cues, mm. right? And I can be very awkward in a room full of people. And when I was in junior high, high school, I didn't, I didn't know how to relate to my peers. You know, I was, I mean, I had friends, but I was very much on the outside of, you know, the the culture in my school and, you know, was, was never, never felt like even it was a possibility that I could um, be a part of the sort of social interactions Mm. that other kids my age were. So I was just sort of observing from the outside, which, you know, ultimately can, can, be helpful if you're writing fiction, <laughs> which I've done some of. Um, but it it doesn't make it a fun experience mm. at the time. But I would say that even as an adult, I never reached a place where I was comfortable or felt like I had a, a way to fit in or interact naturally with kids in that age group. Mm. So... You know, it's 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 not that um, that my daughters and I didn't still have a closeness of relationship through those years, but as they were forging strong friendships and and you know had had this circle of, of friends that they're doing a lot of things with. It, it was very difficult for me not to just feel in a way like I was in junior high again and kind of the outsider not knowing how to mm. how to enter in, you know, yes. in some way to to this wider community mm. that my kids were a part of. So yeah, that that was definitely a much more challenging time for me that mm. that made me look nostalgically back <laughs> sometimes at at how easy relationship was when mm. when my kids were smaller yeah. yeah it does take us back indeed certainly okay sissy here 
David is in another room and I need to let you in on a little secret. You've heard me share that when Henry comes for bunkin' parties, we keep a set of his Haya vitamins at my house. We decorated the jar and he knows exactly where we keep it. Well, unfortunately, David does as well. And I keep catching him taking Henry's vitamins. He keeps saying they are for kids in their 50s. And while I understand that, he is emptying out my supply. I'm going to hide the high of vitamins from him and see how long it takes him to notice. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise, filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk growing kids should never eat. That's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need with the yummy taste they love. Haya is designed for kids of all ages, as David has proven, and sent straight to your door so there is one less thing to worry about. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash RBG. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash RBG and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Sissy, I loved seeing your pictures from the weekend at the lake house with your college friends. We had the best time. I could tell. We laughed harder than I have laughed in a long time. Good for you. That photo of us out on the porch is thanks to the great folks at Home Threads. We love our new porch furniture. It's so comfortable, functional, and looks incredible. We have loved our Home Thread purchases as well. I feel like I'm staying in a swanky hotel every time I use our new towels. Connie bought them for when we have guests, and I proceeded to use them for myself, so we had to buy more. <laughs> Parents, are you ready to transform your home into a haven for your growing family? Look no further than Home Threads, your destination for stylish and functional furniture that's perfect for raising boys and girls. At HomeThreads.com, discover a curated collection of furniture designed with your family in mind. From durable bunk beds to versatile storage solutions, our pieces are as resilient as your little adventures and always at the best value. I need a lot of durable furniture when it comes to my little nephews. Yes, you do. Create a space where memories are made and imaginations run wild. Go to homethreads.com slash RBG and get 15% off your first order. Home Threads, shop today and love where you live. In thinking about the stages of your girls' lives, what would you say has been the best parenting advice you've been given along the way? Well, I remember reading, and I don't, I don't know what the book was or, or who the author was, but in talking about this big picture approach to parenting, um, this author described, and maybe maybe one of you will recognize the <laughs> reference, yeah. but described how he and his wife together on the front end, when their kids were still really small, talked about this and made the decision that, well, first recognized that, hey, there are going to be moments when we learn that our kids have been exposed to something 
that we would never have wanted them to be exposed to at that age. How are we going to respond? Let's figure out on the front end Mm. how we're going to do that. We're not going to freak out. We're not going to make our kid feel like this is a crisis situation. We are going to look at it as something that doesn't fall outside of the providence of God. Mm. And we are going to approach it as a teachable moment. That even if this is something that, you know, our, our kid has gone over to a friend's house and they've seen a movie that, you know, has some element in it that, you know, we wouldn't have wanted them to see for another six years. Well, in an age-appropriate way, we're going to go ahead and open up that conversation. Um, and we're going to shepherd our child through that. But we're not going to let it be a freak-out crisis where our kids are seeing us just, you know, freaking out over this and and um, somehow traumatizing them <laughs> in the process. Right? Um, and I don't know how well I pulled that off ever, but I do think it is tremendously wise advice for parents. And probably not just about that kind of situation, but, you know, abstracting out of that the principle of as as a father and mother on the front end when your kids are little, kind of working out your own construct of how are we going to deal with this sort of thing if it happens? How are we going to deal with this sort of thing when Mm -hmm. it happens? So that you already have this unified and and well considered plan and and response and and course of course of action that you're going to take. I love that because otherwise we're just always, you know, reacting. Yeah, we're always reacting, mm-hmm. playing, you know, always in a defensive mm. spot, yes. um, stressed and panicked. and Yes. Because <laughs> things are going to happen. Right. right? Yes. <laughs> it turns absolutely. out. It turns out. That's a good statement. Yeah. Well, we, David has a fun question he wants to ask. And, and we have a special way we want to end our time that you have graciously agreed to, which we're very excited that you're going to read a liturgy sure. for Christmas because right. that's where we are. But before we get to either of those, will you just say where people can find your work, follow along with all the things you're doing? The best place is everymomentholy.com. That is a portal for all things Every Moment Holy. Uh, Rabbit Room Press, the the press that publishes the books, they run that site so you can order any of the Every Moment Holy books. Um, you also have a lot of downloads that are available. Yeah, there are. You can so you kind. can download PDFs, mm-hmm. formatted PDFs of any of the prayers from the site there, so that. You know, if if at Thanksgiving you want to use a liturgy for feasting with friends before the meal, you can. I think it's it might be ninety nine cents that you pay, and you can download that particular prayer and print out copies for your family and friends who are going to be there. Um, there's also a, an app that we have now um, that has 
uh, a shareability to it so that um, if you have the app, you can send a particular prayer to you know your ten friends that are all gathered there together, so you can you can pray it together in that moment. Yeah. And I think I think the way it works is you know it's they can keep it on their phone for twenty four hours or whatever, and then it disappears. But it, it gives you an easy way to in the moment you know with groups of people to share prayers and be able to use them together. Mm, that's um, wonderful. And we have we have some nice. Uh, prayer prints that have Ned's artwork wow. on them. And then the prayer beside it, I think they're 11 by 14, you know, oh. nice quality, heavy stock paper prints um, for some of the prayers that people might like to have in a particular place, like the one for preparing a meal mm -hmm. or, you know, a lot of people have, have bought the diaper changing one <laughs> to put over the changing station oh, in their house. Or, Beautiful. Um, yeah, so so there's a lot to to check out there. The books are also available through most of the the online book buying places that you would expect. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. thinking about a liturgy for feasting, <laughs> is there a family meal that defined your growing up, or one that you think will define your kids growing up? Hmm. What would my kids say? For me. I would say there would, you know, every couple months, there would be a Saturday where my dad would put a chicken or a couple chickens on the smoker on the, on the back patio. Um, and my mom would, you know, make, make some mashed potatoes and gravy and green beans or, or something like that. Um, but I remember just throughout the day, the anticipation of, you know, smelling that the chicken just being smoked to perfection mm. out there and, um, knowing how good it was going to taste at the end of the day. And it's a Saturday anyway, right? So you don't have school and, um, you know, so it, it's just... Yeah, a, a good thing stacked on top of of another good thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, my kids. Um, it it might have been something pasta related. <laughs> you know, I I didn't grow up in a family that ate a lot of pasta, but my kids grew up with a lot a lot more pasta being part of the diet. Um, and so I think there are probably some of those. Um, you know, homemade macaroni and cheese mm. with um, with pulled pork on Yum. top of it, or something. Just well, and beautiful. actually, there was there was um, a chicken Dijon cobbler. Wow! Right, like a savory cobbler, not a, a sweet yes. one. That my wife and I, someone gave us as a wedding gift a a recipe book of cobblers. Huh. And that one was so good. The top layer is like just all these biscuits wow. that bake on top of this, you know, creamy pulled chicken kind of underneath. It was just that that was quite a comfort food, especially mm. in winter. Um, one of those that, that you knew you were going to gain a few pounds because <laughs> there was no way to have the self-control 
to not eat too many of the biscuits. <laughs> but worth the investment. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, will you end our time by reading a liturgy for sure. us? Sure. Since Christmas is approaching, I thought I would read from Volume 1, a liturgy to mark the start of the Christmas season. And this one is arranged uh, with parts for a leader and for the people, um, with the idea that that a lot of families would be using this one, you know, on that on that afternoon or evening when they pull all the boxes out of the attic or the basement mm. um, and are about to to decorate the house festively for Christmas. Um, that this this is a prayer that would allow them together to pause a moment and to do that little bit of work of, of, of talking to God and at the same time reorienting um, their hearts and minds and recalibrating uh, or, or contextualizing what this actually means, that this isn't just an isolated thing that we do of decorating the house for Christmas. There's actually deep meaning in this. As we prepare our house for the coming Christmas season, we would also prepare our hearts for the returning Christ. You came once for your people, O Lord, and you will come for us again. Though there was no room at the inn to receive you upon your first arrival, we would prepare you room here in our hearts and here in our home, Lord Christ. As we decorate and celebrate, we do so to mark the memory of your redemptive movement into our broken world, O God. Our glittering ornaments and Christmas trees, our festive carols, our sumptuous feasts, by these small tokens, we affirm that something amazing has happened in time and space. That God, on a particular night, in a particular place so many years ago, was born to us, an infant king, our Prince of Peace. Our wreaths and ribbons and colored lights, our giving of gifts, our parties with friends, these have never been ends in themselves. They are but small ways in which we repeat that sounding joy first proclaimed by angels in the skies near Bethlehem. In view of such great tidings of love announced to us and to all people, how can we not be moved to praise and celebration in this Christmas season? As we decorate our tree and as we feast and laugh and sing together, we are rehearsing our coming joy. We are making ready to receive the one who has already with open arms received us. We would prepare you room here in our hearts and here in our home, Lord Christ. Now we celebrate your first coming, Emmanuel even as we long for your return. O Prince of Peace, return soon. We miss you so. Amen. Did you love today's episode? If so, would you mind sharing it with a friend? Send a quick text or email 
with the link to the show. Join us next time for another episode where we'll bring you help and hope on your journey of raising boys and girls. 